We have a special uh, speaker with us this morning. Uh, Pastor Les Peters is here, and I just ask him to come up and uh, uh, share God's Word with, uh, with us this morning. I'm sure most of you know who Les is. He's a familiar face here at VCBC. Uh, uh, Les is the... What's your title? Executive Director? Field Director. Field Director of Impact Ministries in Guatemala. So he's here to share God's Word with us this morning and give us a bit of an update of what Impact is doing in Guatemala. But before you do that, let me just pray for you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for Les and for his commitment to you and uh, for the work that he has uh, accomplished in Guatemala that you have been doing through him and his team there, through his uh, his wife, his family, and all the uh, co-workers that they have uh, and volunteers and missionaries they have in uh, Guatemala. We pray that you would continue to bless them, encourage them, and strengthen them in the work that you have called them to. And we pray that you would give him uh, courage and boldness to speak your word, word clearly to us this morning and pray that we would have hearts ready to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a real privilege for me to be here this morning. And uh, it was nice to walk in the doors and see familiar faces. A number of you have come our way. And those of you who haven't come our way down to Guatemala, uh, I'm extending you an invitation from the Guatemalan brothers and sisters that are connected with you uh, through all the connections that have happened with uh, VCBC and our ministry down in Guatemala over the years. And uh, we're just so very grateful. Uh, Pastor Gilbert uh, uh is like a brother now in, in that we've had coffee together in Guatemala and had connection time there together, uh, as are uh, a number of you here today. And our, my, um, our connection with uh, VCBC goes back a few years, um, and I think this is my fourth opportunity to be here and share in one level or another. And Dr. Tony Tom was the ori- original connection, and then, of course, uh, the Liu family. We're so grateful for... for uh, our, our connection with them, and of course through their daughter Christy. Uh, this morning, my heart is full, and uh, I, I have so much that I would love to share with you. And in Guatemala, when a pastor gets up to speak, if he doesn't speak for at least an hour, uh, the people are kind of wondering what's wrong with him spiritually, because they've walked for so far, and uh, when they get to church, they want the full meal deal. And if it's less than an hour, they're somewhat disappointed. Uh, I won't speak with, for, uh, for an hour this morning. But I have more than an hour's worth of things in my heart this morning that uh, uh, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share. And we're going to see how quickly I can get through some of these things that are on my heart. Um, very quickly, the, the ministry that we're involved in, uh, my wife and I are founders, and this is our son Tim. He is nine now, and he's here with us today. He disappeared, probably went to the bathroom or to Sunday school. And my wife is here as well, and um, uh, one of our uh, uh, adopted daughters. Uh, we have two biological children and four adopted children, so our family is six, and Tim is the last in, in the line, we're hoping. We have an orphanage that's under construction, so uh, any other children that come our way, that's, the, that's where they're going to end up. I want to give you just a very brief overview of uh, where, uh, where the country of Guatemala is at. They're living in a great deal of poverty, and uh, as you know, much of the world is living in these kinds of conditions. And we see pictures like this all the time. It's when we walk into a home like this. This, this is the home of one of our students in one of our schools. It's when we walk into the home 
and they embrace us and they love us and they put some food out for us and we know very well it could be the only food that they have and it could be that they're going to go hungry tomorrow because they're feeding us. Uh, but uh, the people are very warm and very open and, and wanting to serve the Lord. And uh, this is a typical kitchen in, in Guatemala and uh, uh, very humble people. Uh, suffering a lot in many directions. Um, the food, there is food in Guatemala, but it's not always available to the people in our area. And so there is a great deal of malnutrition as well. And uh, the, the healthcare system isn't really working. This is the National Hospital uh, near our home. And uh, my, my daughter has been working there and uh, she says that pharmacy in our medical clinic is better equipped than the pharmacy in the national hospital. Uh, so the, the needs of the people are not being met. And so we're very grateful uh, for uh, the opportunity to serve these people. And here is a photo of Christy, of course, with two of the other staff members in the clinic. And uh, they are both Guatemalans and uh, our nurses. And when we have a doctor coming alongside of them, they become a very powerful team. They're a powerful team as it is. And this year we have served thousands of people. And uh, uh, this clinic is serving um, the 1,350 students that are in our school, plus their siblings, plus their parents, plus the people connected with our church congregations. So this totals up into thousands of people and uh, we're doing the best that we can with the resources that we have and we're so grateful to this congregation um, for sending Christy our way, uh, for your prayers, for your support and uh, uh, for sending teams our way. Very grateful. Um, this morning I'd like to share out of Psalm 91 and it's in keeping with some of the hardship that we see people going through. And I noticed in your bulletin this morning, there's a, a, a fund being given to people who are going through crisis as a result of the hurricanes or of the um, earthquakes and other tragedies around the world. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, the tragedies that we see near our home in Guatemala uh, are heartbreaking. And many times uh, people feel as though they are, are without hope. Uh, I just spoke of the poverty and the malnutrition and the healthcare system. And in our local hospital, our national hospital, every week children are being abandoned there. Now the Bible, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, uh, will a mother abandon her child? doesn't even touch the answer because the answer is a given. In most normal situations, a mother will not abandon her child. She will lay down her life for a child. And um, in Guatemala, we see something rather different happening and it causes you to scratch your head and say, what's going on? We see mothers abandoning their babies. And that's because there's a lot of violence in the home. Some of them have lost children to malnutrition or to abuse in earlier years. And then when they give birth to another child, they just say, I, wanna, I want this child to live. I want this baby to live. And if you can imagine the heartbreak that goes through a mother when she says, the only opportunity for life is to leave the baby here. 
and separate herself from this child. Now, I realize that there are mothers who are being irresponsible and have made bad decisions and are in very difficult life circumstances as a result of, of inappropriate uh, decisions that they've been making in immoral lives. I realize that that happens as well. But here in Guatemala, we see many of these children being abandoned and uh, every week in the hospital. And those of you who have come, some of you have had the opportunity to hold an abandoned baby in your arms and just imagine, you know, what is going to come of this life? I love this picture because I think it reflects the need of every baby, every child that comes into this world. Um, And, you know, that automatic reflex that a baby has holding on to something and uh, and here, this is a picture of how God wants us to feel about Him as well. How God wants us to feel about Him and our need for Him. And this morning, as we were driving up, I was just thinking, Lord, I come into this service this morning with needs in my life. I come here gathering together with brothers and sisters that I don't know well. Some I know better than others. Uh, but that I don't know well, but I know that we have something in common. And we sang the words of the song. We said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Jesus and His righteousness and what He's done for us. And through the storm, He is Lord and He is Lord of all. Uh, The Guatemalan people are going through storms. And uh, my text is out of Psalm 91. Uh, Just a few more things, just to kind of paint the picture of how people are living and uh, why we're so grateful for uh, your prayers and support. Uh, This is a a headline of our newspaper. It was taken from a few years back, but it basically is giving a summary of the educational system and how it's faltering. And it says, by 2021, there will be 3.2 million children who should be in school and they won't be for all kinds of reasons. They're suffering, their family is going without, and, uh, uh, and they're going through all kinds of trials. They have to go to work, or there are no schools available. And so consequently, out of that, the Lord has spoken into our lives and said, you know, there's a lot of things that people can do that are good. And there's a lot of needs in this world. Our life is very short, and the reason He has given us life is so that we will hear His voice, that we will listen to Him, hear His voice, come into relationship with Him, and discover the purpose that He created us for. And when we do that and we obey, all kinds of marvelous things begin to happen. Divine things. Things that are unexpected. And this is the abundant life that God has called us to. Now, in in Canada... Uh, I grew up here. Uh, I, I was born in Saskatchewan and lived uh, the last 10 years of our life here in, uh, in Canada in Kamloops. I uh, was the principal of the Christian school there. And we, I absorbed the world's view, uh, the, the world view of people around me without even realizing that I absor- absorbed it. Now, I met my wife in Bible school and I studied the Word of God uh, and I dedicated two years to coming to know God. And yet, after all the time that I was in this culture and in this society, 
30 years later, 40 years later, I realized I have absorbed the values of society and they have infringed on the truth of the gospel. And um, I went, I'm, I'm, I'm going off track here a little bit. And if you want to come back next Sunday for something that's very systematic and laid out, uh, I, I really encourage you to do that. I kind of scatter all over the place. So if you'll just bear with me as I run off on a few rabbit trails. When I went to Bible school, uh, I didn't know the Lord. Uh, I, 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 I had grown up in church. I had grown up in a church environment. Uh, I don't know how many generations back my forefathers had given their lives to the Lord, but it dates back to the Protestant Reformation. And so there was a whole series of generations of people who had known God and been involved in church. And I grew up as an adolescent thinking, uh, I see all kinds of things out there in the world, and I see the majority of my friends living with a certain mindset, but when I come to church, I'm being exposed to something different. And I began to isolate what happened on Sunday mornings, Sunday school and church, and the youth meetings with the rest of my life. And I kind of lived, started living in this separated uh, dichotomy. And a, a, a crisis point came into my life. A crisis came. And, and this morning I'm speaking about suffering. Uh, a crisis came. I thought, I can't go on like this. Either I need to encounter God if He is really there. I need to have the assurance that this is really true. Or if this I am just simply believing what I believe because I was born into the family that I was born into. If that's all that's happening, then I'm going to kind of end that so that I don't have to live with guilt. And so I went to Bible college without knowing Christ, but with an open heart, knowing I had some needs. And, and now, all these years later, isn't it interesting I come to church this morning saying, Lord, I have some needs. And I hope you came that way as well. Because that's the kind of heart that the Lord is drawn to. That's the kind of heart that Jesus looks for. That's the kind of heart that is a magnet to His Holy Spirit. A heart that says, I need something. I, 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 need, I, I have some problems. I have some issues. Lord, without You, I can't go on. He loves that kind of dependence. Um, just to finish my story about Bible school, I went into Bible school and uh, uh, I was a little afraid and I had only committed to going there for one year. And within the first couple of weeks, there was a, a young man who was in the room across the hall from me in our dormitory and I, I got to be friends with him and he started inviting me to certain activities and one day he came up to me, this was in the first couple of weeks of Bible school, he came up to me and he said, um, uh, I wasn't, he was a second year student and I was a first year student. He came up to me and he said, Les, I wasn't planning on coming back to Bible school for my second year. Uh, but, he said, over the summer the Lord spoke to me. Now he was the very first person in my life who used that phraseology. God spoke to me. And I thought, 
Okay, either there's, either there's something real here, or this guy's a little bit loose up here. Uh, like he's a little bit of a flake, or else he's real. So I thought, I'm going to hang around him and find out what he is talking about. Because I've never heard God speak to me. I had never heard God speak to me to that point. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to hang around this guy. His name was Walter. But he didn't stop there. He said, I, I, I asked him, I said, so God spoke to you and told you to come back to Bible school? He said, yeah, I had a job lined up and I was going to be working. Uh, I, I had only planned for coming here for one year. But God spoke to me and he said, Walter, his name was Walter, you need to go back to Bible school because through those next 10 months, the Lord said to him, I'm going to use you in two people's lives. I thought, wow, he's not only hearing or feeling God, like he's hearing something very specific. I thought, this is amazing, if, if it's true. And then he spoke some words to me that I will never forget. And that changed my life. He looked at me and he said, unless you're one of them. And my heart stopped. I thought, is this really God? It was. It was. The Bible talks about why we were created. And we were created to live our lives for Him and to be a reflection of Jesus to this world in the middle of all the problems. Now, there's all kinds of problems. And if you know unbelievers... One of the things, they say many things about the pain and problems in life. And many times they accuse God. But God has left us here in the middle of the troubles and trials and tempests and storms of this life so that we would say, God, in this moment I need you and we would live that out in front of others. That we would draw together as a community and say, we need each other because we are surrounded by a world that misunderstands us. We are surrounded by a world that puts words into our mouths and says, oh, Christians, they say this and this and this. Christians are hateful and intolerant. We're surrounded by people who are saying these kinds of things and we need each other to encourage each other so that we will say, no, we are not going to live intolerant lives, but we will stand on the truth. And, and we will draw together and say, I need God. I need God this week. I have some needs. Uh, so in Guatemala, uh, our mission statement has been to train people in biblical principles. This is the solution. More money isn't the solution. A political change isn't the solution in Guatemala. Our North American technology is not the solution. The things, the things that, that we have here, because we have lived in a, in a very orderly, cultured society, Western society, those things aren't what solve the problems. It's Jesus who solves our problems. It's Jesus who solves our problems. Through the storms. Um, so, uh, we have entered into a discipleship program. Now, 
Um, um, Jesus didn't come and say, go into all the world and start Christian schools. Uh, we've started ten Christian schools now. And uh, these are photos of two of them. And we have 1,300 children. We're expecting to be about 1,500 children in our Christian schools. He didn't say, go into all the world and start Christian schools. So why, why are we starting Christian schools? He didn't say, go into all the world and start medical clinics. Uh, he didn't say, go into all the world and present an education that will help people to live at a higher standard of living so that, so that they can get a better job and have a higher standard of living and pull them out of poverty. That's not what he said. So then why are we so excited when we see graduates? Here is a group of graduates that have graduated from our, uh, our schools. And they are now on staff with us. We have many more graduates, but these are the graduates that are on staff with us and recognize that God has created them for a purpose. And that purpose isn't a, a, self, a purpose of self-gratification. This purpose isn't a, a purpose of self-fulfillment. We've heard these words. This, this, that's what our culture tells us. We need to live a, a fulfilled life. And we need to be happy, and things will make us happy. Now, those of you who have heard me speak before, you've heard me say this. Our, our, our logical process in North America many times isn't biblical. Our logical process is, we need to get an education so that we can get a good job, so that we can have some, some security. I don't want my children to live a life of insecurity, and you don't either. So we're saying, how can we set them up so that they can have a, a, a life that is secure and solid and economically uh, well and sound and that they will have the things they need? I don't want my children to live a life where they're struggling from day to day. I see that in the Guatemalan people. But we can get off track very quickly. So, so we say we need an education so that we can get a good profession, so that we can get a good career, so we can earn lots of money, and so we can have the things that we need and help others with the things they need as well. And that will make us happy. If that succession is true, then we in North America should be the happiest people on this earth. Now, granted, other nations are moving ahead of us now in our education system, our public education system. And there are other nations that are moving ahead of us economically. But historically, we have been in a situation here where we have seen that unfold and we are seeing that come to fruition in several generations and we are living in a pretty nice place. But if that logic were true, then why is it that North America has the highest consumption rate of antidepressants in the world. That's because without Jesus, all of that becomes meaningless. And Jesus comes and meets us at our heart level. We have redefined education uh, in a different way. And by the way, this is our whole staff, our whole education staff. These are the teachers in our schools. We have redefined education. I was an educator here in Canada for 20-some years. I caught on in Guatemala. This is what education is. Education is discovering the purpose that God had in His heart when He knit you together in your mother's womb. To discover what that is. 
than to hear his voice. Now, we need to hear his voice to do that. I need to become like Walter. Where, where Walter, over a period of two months, changed his plans because God spoke to him and said, go back to Bible school. Go back to Bible school and I will use you in two people's lives. Education is learning to hear God's voice in that way. Now, I often have thought and wondered, if I had been in Walter's shoes, whether I would have taken ten months of my life to go back to Bible school, sacrifice all my own plans for ten months for two people that I didn't know. I've often asked myself that question. Would I have been that kind of a man? That was an inspiration for me. I want to be that kind of a man. I want to be that kind of a person who hears God and obeys Him. Here are young men and women who have heard God and who have determined in their hearts they are going to obey Him. Their lives have been transformed. And they recognize that Jesus in them, expressing expressing Himself through them, all of a sudden begins to have ripple effects in their family. Ripple effects in their community. Ripple effects in their province. And that is what we were created for. All of these other things are peripheral and one day they will all turn to dust. But relationships are eternal and endure. And God created us not to build relationships, or certainly, pardon me, not to build Christian schools, You might ask, well, why are we building Christian schools then? It's because those Christian schools facilitate relationships. My father-in-law lives just a couple blocks from here, and he remembers the year that a survey was sent out by the congregation. And he filled it out. He said, yes, yes, we accept them in this community. And I know many other voices were there. And for whatever reason, the city turned down the request that this church and this congregation requested. And uh, I think it's in the heart of this congregation and, and the others that meet here to build a new building someday rather than uh, try and reinforce this one for earthquake protection, which wouldn't be worth it, would it? So how do you justify that? All that expense. It's easily justified because this is where relationships are nurtured. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And our mandate is to make disciples. That's our mandate. And when Jesus enters a life, like he entered mine after I encountered Walter, I began having a hunger for for what God does. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. Now, either that's just nice words on paper that are poetic, or it's true. And if it's nice words on paper that are poetic, I had already decided, I don't want it. But I discovered, it's true. It's true. God's revelation is true. And His desire for intimate relationship with me and with you is as sure as the sun that rose this morning. I love what Jesus does in the human heart. 
And I have only another few moments, but I do want to share a few stories with you. Those of you who have uh, been at my presentation that I did here about a year ago, you've seen this picture before. And this picture is uh, really a special picture for me. It was taken several years ago. Uh, little did we know that the people who are in this picture would begin taking the roles that they currently are taking. Uh, this picture reminds me that Jesus is still transforming lives in radical ways. Um, in our church, uh, in, in Guatemalan churches, I shouldn't just say in our church, in Guatemalan churches, uh, they very regularly have an altar call. And those of us who remember the days of Billy Graham and other evangelists like him, you will remember that song, Just As I Am, without a plea. Now, I'm, the words are failing me. I come to thee. And people would rise up in these stadiums and flock to the front, and hundreds would kneel and accept the Lord and come into a relationship with Christ. Uh, begin that first step of coming into a relationship with Christ. Now, the Guatemalans uh, are in a little bit different place. They're first-generation Christians. By the way, we have three congregations now. Uh, and so this morning, there are three churches meeting in Guatemala. Uh, they're on a different time zone than us, but uh, they are meeting right at this moment, uh, pr close to six or 700 Guatemalan believers. And uh, at the end of the services in Guatemala, very typically, the pastor will say, uh, let's all stand and uh, somebody will come and play music and they'll say, uh, now, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, now is the moment. And very often, people will, will step out of their uh, chairs and come and kneel at the front, very openly declaring, I need Jesus. I, haven't, I have not encountered that kind of vibrant relationship with God where I understand the purpose that He created me for, or where I'm even listening for that, and they're saying, I want that. They're also recognizing, I have a life behind me, and I have baggage behind me. I have, I have a history. And my history, if I listen to the voice of the enemy, and the voice that speaks loudly in our minds and into our hearts, the enemy comes and speaks a lie and says, your history disqualifies you. That's what Satan says. Or, you have weaknesses, other people can do it better. That's what Satan says. Or, with the things that you have done and the things that you have thought and the things that you have participated in in your past, this, is, this kind of relationship with God is for other people, it's not for you. And all of these are lies. And when the voice of the Holy Spirit comes, and says, no, if you feel weak, great, you're a great candidate to be used by God if you feel weak. Do you have a physical or, 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 or some kind of impediment? Oh, you're a great candidate. That, that, that was Paul. Do you have a history that is really not very stellar? And you're kind of a normal person and God only you works through stellar people? If you recognize that you are not stellar, you're not, you're not the top person, and you say, God, I don't know that I'm adequate. Oh, God loves that. 
God loves that. That's the kind of person. Just think of the fishermen that he called. I mean, these were these were stinky, smelly people. These these were not well educated people, and yet those were the ones that responded. They encountered Christ and realized that Jesus said, I will work with all of those who say yes to me. I will work in the heart of anybody who realizes they have a weakness and a need. That's the qualifying factor for approaching God. And if you know that you're not stellar or the top or the best, God says, come, I invite you. If you know you have a history... That, that doesn't exemplify God's values and morals. And you say, well, maybe God had a plan, but I'm now on plan B or C or Z. God says, people who know that they're not on plan A, and they know they need me to do a restora- restorative work in, in their lives, those are the people who he will reveal himself to. And that's exactly the condition I was in when I met Walter. And in our churches in Guatemala, when, we, when, the, when the pastor gives an altar call, it's not like it was here in Canada when I left. When I was here in Canada and we left, and sometimes I was in a church service where this kind of thing happened. And here's kind of how it went. The pastor would say, everybody stand, close your eyes and bow your heads, and there'd be some nice music playing. And then the pastor would say, if you need prayer this morning... Just raise your hand. I'll notice it. And so people, a few people will raise their hand a little bit, but the whole church goes quiet. And then if you hear a little rustling, you think somebody's raising their hand. I wonder who it is. And we peek. So we're standing there with our heads bowed, and we hear a little rustling, and then we peek to see who raised their hands. And then when we see who it is, we think, oh my goodness, I wonder what they did. Guatemalans aren't like that at all. Guatemalans are on the other end of the spectrum. They stand up and they're saying, I hope there's a prayer time. Because if there's a prayer time, I need prayer. So they're listening. And the moment they hear, if you need prayer this morning, come forward. Well, it's it's not a long, drawn-out affair. It's people start moving right away. They say, prayer, that's me, I'm in. And they're up there. This Sunday was a Sunday very similar to that. And I'm just going to share three, uh, there's three people in this photo. That, well, they're all very important, but I'm going to just share the story of, now how do I turn this thing on? The little red button? Is that the laser thing? That's, okay, good. I don't want to. Okay, uh, this person right here, He's kneeling there. His name is Camilo. Camilo was accused of something. And in Guatemala, the justice system doesn't work. The justice system doesn't work. And he was accused of something. And in Guatemala, if you're a poor man, it's easy for you to get into jail and it's very difficult for you to get out. If you're a rich man, it's very difficult for you to get into jail, but if you do end up in jail, it's easy to get out. Camilo was not a rich man. On the basis of an accusation, he was thrown into jail and it took three years before he got a hearing. The moment he got a hearing, the judge realized 
There's no basis to this accusation. And he was released. He spent three years in jail. His first week in jail, he was in one of the worst jails in the country. And the rumor got spread in the jail that he and the other two that were put into the jail that day were actually undercover police. So they beat them up. Uh, I found this out the week before I left for Canada. Camilo was sitting in my office. He works for us now. Camilo was sitting in my office and he was saying, I need to go to a doctor's appointment. Um, and I asked him what, what was going on. And he said, well, they kicked me in my kidneys so many times that I have permanent kidney damage. So his first week in jail, they kicked him in his kidneys. He said, my nose was broken. And then he held up his hand and his fingers were all twisted because they had broken his fingers in various places. I began to cry. He was telling me the story and he was weeping and I began to weep with him. And he said, Brother Les, after a while, it's just like they're touching you like this. You feel no pain anymore. And you just let it happen and it continues happening but you feel no pain. He was in a life problem. And because of time, I'm just going to say this much. Through that experience, his wife came to us and said, my husband is in jail on the basis of an accusation. Were, did we have a, were we in a position to get him out of jail? No, we weren't. But we could pray. And God came into that situation. She accepted the Lord. Her children, their children accepted the Lord. Camilo accepted the Lord. Camilo is now one of our cell group leaders. Uh, he, he and his wife have become baptized and are pro proclaiming the truth of Jesus. There is a God who meets us in our darkest moment and who comes alongside of us in our darkest moment and sets things on a new course. And if there's a message for you or I this morning, that's it. That in the middle of trials, in the middle of troubles, there is a God. And He loves us. And He cares for us. And He will orchestrate even situations as bad as that. Now, that's not the Lord's will. But we live in a fallen world. And the enemy is at work. And when he is at work, the Lord takes those kinds of things, and twists them around. Sets them right. He doesn't twist them. It's the Satan who's been twisting the situation. He sets them right and on a good course. And a family like Camilo's family can come to the Lord and be a witness in the community of Taktik. Everybody knows him. Everybody knows about the accusation. And now he's walking around proclaiming Jesus. Man, he... His name is Ervin. His family is from a family that's very involved in occultic practices, worshipping demonic forces that represent themselves as spirits. They see supernatural things happening. They're involved very much in the occultic world and um, this syncretism between the, the religions of the Mayan people. Uh, it, it's horrible. And here is a man who... One night, he was drinking in the bar. He's living an immoral life. And he says, he says, 
I all of a sudden, I, I, I he says, I, I was drunk. But all of a sudden, I had a moment of clarity. One moment of clarity. And he says, it's like I was out of the situation looking down on the whole thing and all this party atmosphere going over here. And here is me sitting in the corner, sad and discouraged. And he said, I heard a voice. And the voice that I heard said, you were not created for this. That's all he heard. He says, I don't remember going back into my body. I don't remember how I got home. But in the morning when I woke up, I remembered those words. So he went to his business partner and he said, who was speaking that to me? Like, where did those words come from? Was I imagining it? Was it part of my drunkenness? Or was it God? And his business partner said, I don't know. I don't know about these kinds of things. But I have a brother who sends his, uh, who, who works in the Christian school. In one of the Vita schools. Why don't we go ask him? So they went and asked him. And the door was open. And Ervin heard for the very first time that we are indeed created for a godly purpose. A divine purpose. And Jesus did knit us together in our mother's womb with that purpose in mind. And is this God speaking to you? He says, I expect it is. He wants you to seek Him. Irvin sought the Lord. He found Him. He has now completed four years of seminary training. And in the next month and a half, he will be taking leadership of one of our congregations. Uh, a life change that everybody in Taktik is aware of. Several weeks ago, we brought a, a, about a thousand of our students together in the central square of Taktik, and we had a time of worship. Uh, those of you who have been in Guatemala, you've, you've been in our uh, morning devotionals, and, uh, uh, and the children just call out to God. We thought, we need the community to see this. Another I don't know how many hundred people gathered around and listened to the children worship God and call to God. And then Irvin got up and in front of the whole community where he'd grown up and his whole family knows, uh, he's known by his family that is involved in the occult and in witchcraft, he declares, there is only one God who can redeem us. There is only one path to righteousness and restoration with our God who created us. And that's Jesus. And you can know Him because I know Him. If I can know Him and I can hear Him, you can know Him and you can hear Him. A life changed. A life changed. And uh, I haven't handled my time very well because I wanted to end with Psalm 91. And now I've got another 40 minutes to spend on Psalm 91. No, I've got another three minutes to spend on Psalm 91. Listen to this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What kind of troubles are you going through this morning? What kind of life trials are you going through? We are all going through them. I want to be a man who says this. You are my God in whom I trust. Because surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. And the 
chapter goes on. This is very familiar to you. No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near you. It doesn't mean we're going to live a life without pain. It doesn't mean we're going to live a life with, without trouble. Camilo experienced trouble. But we have a God who takes that trouble and He turns it into something that is worth celebrating. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now the Lord begins to speak in verse 14. Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him. I choose this day to be a person who loves Jesus. And the reason I can do that is because He loved me first. Am I the person, the best example of someone who loves Jesus? No, I'm not. Do I love Jesus completely 100% in every circumstance? No, I have failed. But I have been redeemed and forgiven. And the Lord says to me this morning, He says, because you love me, I will rescue you. I get myself into trouble and He will rescue me. If you get yourself into trouble, He will rescue you. I will protect Him. He acknowledges my name. I choose this day to acknowledge the name of Jesus as sovereign over every area of my life. This is what God says. He will call upon me and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. Here's the problem. Most Christians think that if God was sovereign and all-powerful, we would have no trouble. That's not the case. It says, I will be with him in trouble. That's how his sovereignty is expressed. That's how his power is released. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Can we just stand for prayer? Lord Jesus, thank You that You are the source of our salvation. You are the author of our lives. And You are the one who is entitled to write the last chapter. And so, Father, this morning we just acknowledge that many times we have forgotten those things and we have turned from You. And You have just waited patiently. And You have promised, when you're in trouble... I will come and rescue you. When you feel forsaken, I will be there. In the middle of trouble, you will turn to me. And I will protect you. That's what the Lord says to us. Thank you for being that kind of a God. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this congregation. And I just pray specifically now. Lord, I can't pray specifically, but you know specifically every need that we have. And I pray for those needs now, Lord. And as each one of us activates the faith that is in our hearts and applies Your truth to our circumstances, You are the one who will deliver us and honor us. We give You thanks. That's the kind of God You are. In Jesus' name.